Welcome to Bravery Trek Run Ashore, a podcast for Bravery Trust in partnership with Content Group. Welcome to another episode of Run Ashore, the podcast that follows this year's route for the Bravery Trust fundraiser, Bravery Trek. I'm Mark Cooper and thank you for joining me. Today we are again joined by Brigadier Bill Sowery, who will help us to better understand the history and significance of Hornby Lighthouse. Bill, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Fantastic. Uh, So, Bill, we've already talked about Sir David Martin Reserve and the Macquarie Lighthouse. Um, So it'd be good now to chat about the Hornby Lighthouse, which, of course, is located quite close to to those two other locations. Yes, it is. Well, it's just a little bit further north of the Macquarie Lighthouse, Um, uh, a remarkable location in Watson's Bay, uh, currently where HMAS Watson is, is located now. Uh, a, a premier position on South Head um, and uh, the entry e- entrance to Sydney Harbour. Uh, and as we were just talking, uh, I remember it very fondly from my time in Sydney uh, in, the, in the late 80s and particularly during the bicentenary in 88 uh, when we were picnicking from uh, at HMAS Watson looking up the harbour uh, and uh, you could almost walk across the harbour with the number of boats that were there, but a, a beautiful location. And uh, there are many other you know, landmarks around that area uh, that are related to the Hornby Lighthouse, such as the, light, the Lightkeeper's Cottages, Lady Bay Beach. Um, I've mentioned HMAS Watson and, of course, uh, Camp Cove Beach as well. Yes, yes. Um, now, Bill, can you share with us a little bit of the history of the lighthouse? How did it come to be? Yeah, well, the, the lighthouse uh, was built in 1858 and it was designed by the, the colonial architect at the time, uh, Alexander Dawson, who'd previously been clerk of works down in, in Hobart. Um, and he was commissioned as the uh, colonial architect for New South Wales by Sir William Dennison, uh, after which Fort Dennison is named. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was you know, also noted for doing the Sydney uh, Observatory and the Port Stephens Lighthouse as well. So uh, this was you know, a very familiar turf for him. Um, and, uh, yeah, as I said, built in uh, 1858. Uh, and I guess the, the reality was that uh, it was built because of a number of tragic accidents. Yes. Of course, we had the, the lighthouse... Um, to the south in the Macquarie Lighthouse. Yes. Um, but uh, there were issues entering the harbour um, and, and particularly when pilots weren't present and, uh, you know, clearly that was uh, one of the issues with the first of the wrecks, which was the, the Dunbar, which was a 1,300-plus a tonne ship that went down in August uh, 1857. Um, it arrived at Sydney Heads on a, on a gale-ridden night. Uh, a pilot from uh, Watson's Bay Pilot Station uh, was unable uh, to get out through the heads to guide the ship in. Um, so the, the captain perhaps unwisely decided to seek shelter but got caught between the gap and outer south head uh, and all attempts to claw the ship away from land failed. He was probably pressed on by driving winds and it crashed into the rocks just after midnight. It wasn't until the next morning when people at the signal station saw the wreckage that they realised the disaster had occurred and there was only one survivor out of 122 on board. A, oh. An Irishman uh, named James Johnson was found that morning clinging to a ledge and his family was to go on and play a significant role in the manning of uh, New South Wales lighthouses, which oh, is, is that right? you know, I guess... Uh, um, you know, getting something out of, out of the adversity. Uh, you know, interestingly, I was... My great-grandfather uh, was lost in a shipwreck 
on the West Australian coast in the SS Kumbana in 1911. Really? Um, with all hands as well uh, during a, a, a major storm up there. Was was he uh, serving in the Navy? Or no, no. He, Navy was, or? Uh, he was based in South Australia but was doing a itinerant worker as a shearer at the time and was... He had seven children, including my grandfather, back in South Australia, and, and he was trying to earn money as they were at the time. And uh, the ship went down, and uh, actually, to the to the day my uh, uh, grandfather died, he had a le- the last letter he wrote to his grandfather in his uh, breast pocket, uh, which had been returned to sender deceased. So it was a, a very moving uh, little anecdote about uh, the tragedy of the times and yes. how it impacted. Uh, so there we go. Yeah. Uh, I, I was fascinated, Bill, looking... Because I did a little bit of reading, you know, before this interview. Seeing uh, paintings of the Dunbar, it was a, a beautiful ship. Mm. Uh, so I think it was sort of the pl- the pride of that fleet of ships and it was, you know, it was for first-class passengers. So... Uh, we think in modern times, you know, mm. it was it was a really um, highly um, respected and, and you know, <clears throat> wealthy people travelled on it. Yes, uh, but I guess it goes to the fickleness of wind that you don't, you know, without any auxiliary power, um, you've got no ability to uh, try and get out of adversity when the wind is going against you. Yes. And, uh, and sadly that well, was the case for the Dunbar. Yeah, it says something if the, the pilot was unable to get out through Sydney Heads to, to get to the ship to, you know, guide it in. The, the seas and the, must have been horrendous. Well, I think we've all seen the, the pictures of Sydney ferries uh, when the, when the harbour is at its worst, riding up and down. Yes. Um, and no doubt it was something similar similar to that. And it wasn't obviously the, the last because in 1857 in October um, another wreck occurred and that was the Catherine Adamson which was a 900 tonner clipper ship um, with the loss of 21 lives. So I imagine that that may have been doing the wool run or something like that between Sydney and London, you know, uh, you know like the Cuddy Sark, yes. um, you know, bringing back all that wool from Australia um, yes, to, I think, I think to the I... UK. I think I'd read it. It had done a number of trips, mm. and yeah, it had again a storm, seeking shelter. Um, the thing I find interesting with the Dunbar is when you look at where it, where it went in. And of course, there is Dunbar Point there, which is uh, just a little bit. It's quite close to Macquarie Lighthouse. It looks to me like the the captain just misread or misunderstood, mm. perhaps um, that thinking Macquarie Lighthouse was on the point. Because he's gone in three hundred yards further up from the from the lighthouse. Well, it's 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 very different to the way um, people do shipping or aircraft these days. You know, in, in those days, the the first time you visited the port was the first time you visited the port. Mm. For shipping and aircraft now, uh, you'll probably do um, hundreds of landings in a virtual environment in simulators yes. um, before you actually enter the port. That's so it, it may have been uh, your first actual flight into, into uh, Sydney Airport, but you've done it in the virtual environment a hundred yes. times. Yes. Uh, so a new experience for him, probably unfamiliar with the surroundings and uh, all, it uh, didn't work to his advantage. Yes. But it worked to everybody else's advantage in they prompted the the building of the Hornby Lighthouse. Yes. And, of course, it's um, located in, in quite a famous area of Sydney uh, where the Dunbar went in. It's just there beside the Gap. And for those of you who, our listeners who may not have been there yet, I, I really encourage you to go and have a look because the Gap is a spectacular location and there's the, the famous rock shelf down the bottom where 
a lot of people do rock fishing. And there's the anchor there from the Dunbar, which I think was recovered some some decades after it actually sunk. Um, so you can see that you can see the the uh, the anchor there. Mm. Um, and as a young boy, I was just uh, for, for our listeners, I was telling Bill earlier that uh, as a young boy, my grandfather loved fishing, and he would always go and climb down Joe Jacobs' ladder, which um, back in the 40s and 50s was a a rope ladder. And uh, would fish down there all day, and you know, come back with a load of fish, and he'd, he'd sell them at the local pub because he was a blue collar worker, renting a, a unit in Randwick, and he took me down there as a as a young lad. I was five or six, and it scared the bejesus out of me going down this up and down this ladder. And uh, my my grandfather got in trouble with my mum when we got home because uh, it's quite a drop. It's quite a drop. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you doing with my son on the Jacob's ladder? But uh, of course, unfortunately, a lot of people also take their lives there, yeah. which is a very very sad part of um, yeah that coastline. Indeed, yes. and um, you know, uh, I guess another interesting fact um, certainly. Um, uh, got Governor Denison in uh, in the good books was that the the lighthouse was named the Hornby Lighthouse because it was named after uh, Sir William Denison's wife's father, who was Sir Vips Hornby, Hornby uh, who was the commander in chief of the British Pacific Fleet in the 1860s. So um, I think. Uh, uh, Mrs. Denison was very happy, or Lady Denison was very happy yes. as, a, as a result of that outcome. Yes. Uh, so you can tell, tell us a little bit more about the lighthouse itself, Bill. How, how does it operate or, or what's sort of been the history of the lighthouse? Uh, well, obviously built in 1858, but it's, it's actually referred to as the lower lighthouse because the Macquarie Lighthouse is, you know, sits a little bit higher um, uh, in the scheme of things. So uh, it, it's got that sort of nom de plume uh, to distinguish it from the, the Macquarie Light. I mentioned at the start about the lighthouse, lightkeeper's houses that are there. Um, Dawson, who designed the lighthouse, was also the architect for the, the, the cottages, which were, you know, followed the, the standard Georgian design of the time. Um, like, they were functional. Um, they were run down over time. Um, you know, they were added to over time. In fact, I lived it, it, in Victoria Barracks in Sydney and uh, the cottage I lived in, too, uh, lived in was... Uh, built in 1839, I think, and uh, had gone through wow. many, many iterations over time and really? had been the, the, the regimental aid post, had been stables uh, and had been both and then connected together and disconnected over time. It's been through many iterations and these were very, very similar. Um, the cottages were there to support the lighthouse keepers. They had small gardens, probably a, a kitchen garden at the time as well. Um, obviously, that part of Sydney was not connected to the tank stream. Yes. which, which uh, uh, ran from Centennial Park yes. basically down uh, Oxford Street all the way to Sydney itself to provide the water course. So, and then sort of down um, between Pitt and George. Yeah, that's out. right. Yes. Um, so uh, the, uh, the cottages there had their own cistern, I guess that you would call it, an underground tank uh, for general use, and they weren't really connected to town water until almost 1900. Um, uh, the original light, and, you know, you can't talk about a lighthouse without talking about the light, it was a first-order catropic lens that had been purchased in 1853, um, a bit like the Macquarie Lighthouse in the, the, the subsequent iteration, powered by kerosene, um, which conformed with advances in lighthouse technology of the day. Um, it was converted to incandescent gas in the early 19... 
early 1904, which was a huge advance in technology with safety, brilliance and cost, and converted to electricity finally, you know, 30 years later um, in 1933. Um, uh, and at that stage it was automated and, you know, the... the, the uh, Lighthouse keepers were no longer required. Mm. Um, yes, it remains in use today, um, but you can't actually enter it anymore. You, you're destined to observe this beautiful red and white edifice uh, that overlooks, looks northward, uh, eastward and westward um, over a, a South Head. Um, you know, no doubt it's been painted many, many, many times and is the subject of many tourist photos as well. Yes. I, I know I was just talking to our producer, Olivia, and she was saying that uh, the Bravery Trust and the Trek have got lots of photos of their runners going past Hornby Lighthouse because of its colour, uh, its colours, its stripes. It's very... Um, yeah, it stands out. Everybody recognises it. Yeah. It went through a period where it was a little bit neglected because there was, I guess, that discussion about is it a state edifice or is it a federal edifice? Um you know, the Sydney Harbour Trust had responsibility for it from 1900, but it wasn't transferred to the Common Commonwealth until 15 years later. Um, after it was automated, um, like many of the things, particularly during the Depression, it, it ran into a bit of disrepair mm. uh, at, the, at the time. With the onset of World War II, it, with many other uh, government buildings, came under the control of the army. And I think, as you probably talked on other, other shows around here, um, other podcasts, um, you know, that area of Sydney, both north and south of the, the head, have forts and Middlehead as well, mm. have have forts and gun emplacements yes. at, at the time. And I guess it's also worth noting that when this was built in 1858, um, uh, Sydney, uh, along with other parts of the world, was still worried about the Russians, um, a bit akin to what we are today. Uh, but, of course, 1858 was only four years after the Crimean War, uh, and we have Fort Queenscliff in Victoria, Fort Denison here. Many of these and those fort and gun emplacements were ostensibly to protect uh, the colony from the Russians, uh, not that they would probably ever get out here. Yes. Yeah, we, we did talk in a previous episode about North Fort and the fact that there are the guns there are two 9.2 inch, I think, or nine and a quarter inch guns. Um, so similarly on Southhead, there, mm. there are gun emplacements. Yeah, uh, was it, uh, you know, I guess a, another interesting fact is the army, you know, notwithstanding of taking over the site in uh, just on World War Two, they owned the site up until 1977, mm. um, and at which stage the National Trust classified the site, and uh, the New South Wales Parks and Wildlife moved in into the cottages as caretakers. Um, they did a restoration in '77. Um, you know, fix the roofs, probably fix the plumbing, uh, put in a new kitchen, um, and uh, and it's now part of the Sydney Harbour National Park, administered by National Parks and Wildlife New South Wales. Yes. Um, so they're back in looking resplendent once again. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I want to pick up on something that we had in a previous podcast. We're talking about the quarantine station. Yes. On yeah. North Head, mm. and of course, it it was built uh, in the early eighteen hundreds. I think it was eighteen. 30 or around that, um, and people were coming to the colony, maybe may ill, they go out there and, of course, it resonates with people coming back from World War One with the Spanish flu, and we've got COVID now, and there was that sort of interesting bit to touch on, but it's, you know, it's quite well known for its ghost tours, 
and we're talking about some people have gone and done the ghost tours and found it fr quite frightening. And I kind of alluded to the fact that I had an experience at Victoria Barracks staying there with a mutual friend of ours, Luke Martin. Um, I met a female ghost one night. I know you've had experiences. Of course, not our, all our listeners will believe in ghosts. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind. Would, can you share the experience that you had? Oh, dear. Vic, Vic uh, Barracks? Uh, yeah, uh, I, look, I... Uh, Victoria Barracks Officers Mess is renowned for the, the ghost of George Barney, who was a royal engineer like myself, uh, or an engineer like myself, uh, and uh, he was the architect for Victoria Barracks. So, so it, it's, it's known that he bump, makes bumps in the night um, and uh, at, in the Officers Mess, which is a, which is a grand old building. Uh, and uh, I, like many others before me, often hear those bumps in the night when I was staying there as a doing guard duty, as we, we all used to do in those days before we civilianised uh, guards. Now, I'm not sure whether it was me or the, maybe the drink I had afterwards. but All the uh, possums in the roof. All the possums in the roof, but it was, it was probably one of those things, but I always blamed George Barney. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I had an experience, and I wasn't sure if it, if it did occur or not until... I was told next morning that the previous tenants had had something similar. So who knows? Uh, it is interesting and certainly the colonial history of Sydney is fascinating, as is the, the naval history of Sydney. Uh, so, Bill, look, thank you. It's been lovely spending some time with you this afternoon and chatting about uh, the lighthouses and uh, Sir David Martin Reserve. Really appreciate yeah, your time. Uh, thanks very much, Mark. It's been a, a very interesting booking up on uh, our, our three topics today. It's been great. Yes, yeah. And, of course, the reason we're doing this is to support the Bravery Trust and Bravery Trek and, and Content Group is doing this pro bono. So thank you not just to Bill and all of our other listeners who are doing this as volunteers to support a great cause. Um, and, you know, the Trust supports veterans uh, in need, financial need and, fi and financial planning advice and things, which is, um, which is really, really important. Yeah, it's very admirable work. Yeah. Okay, so look, once again, thanks, Bill, for coming in and spending some time with us today. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed talking about Hornby Lighthouse and learning about it, and I'm sure that you, our listeners, uh, have also learned um, a lot today. There are more episodes that are available, so please do um, subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform to listen to those. And um, thank you once again for all of your time. If you are doing the trek, please get out there and keep doing those kilometres, and bye for now. You've been listening to Bravery Trek Run Ashore. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest episodes.